Happy New Year and good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Both are accepted. Both are accepted. Today I want to do something different. Um, I want to just speak from the heart. So if you would, just put your Bibles away. And I just want to speak from, from the heart. I can see many of you are disturbed by that. <laughs> um, um, and you should be. Anytime I say put the word of God away, you might want to run. Right? Because the word of God is our guide. It's as if we're throwing the map, the GPS, out of the window. And we're just going through life, spinning our wheels without any hope and any direction. And so, with that being said, um, that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemies of God wants us to put the sword down. They are trying to catch us off guard. When somebody tells us to go against the word of God, they're enticing us to join them in committing sin against God. To say it another way, they want us to put the word of God away. They might not say that. They might not say what the word, they might not say put the word of God away, but we must remember that we're fighting and this is spiritual warfare, and we will be fighting for the rest of our natural lives, so we might as well get used to it. We might as well sharpen ourselves with the Word of God, and we must use our weapons wisely. But what's the difference in knowing that it's wrong to put the Word of God away and even rejecting the idea of such a thing and actually putting it away in practice. What's the difference? Once one feels good, right? But it's actually the same thing. It equals the same outcome. Even when there is blatant denial intellectually to do such a thing, Satan is still up to his same old tricks, trying to trick us so that we won't spend time in God's word. But what does this lead to? It leads to unbelief, distrust, disregard, and neglect. In other words, it's chiseling away at our faith. Do you know a chisel, a chisel and a hammer can bring down the tallest building in the world? How about our faith? The Apostle Paul realizes the dangers that would come against us to attack our faith. So he penned this epistle to the Colossians to strengthen their faith and to indoctrinate them with the truth of Christ. Though this is written many years ago, it's applicable to us today. 
we can use it right now in a hurry. So as we look forward to the rest of this new year, we must maintain the doctrines of our faith. We must remember them. So if you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Colossians 1. And we're going to be continuing our study in Colossians. And we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to pick up at verse 15 in Colossians 1. Sound like we're there. So I will go ahead and begin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let us pray and ask God for his help. Our Lord and our God, Oh, how we thank you for your word. We know your word is effective. We know your word grants life. We know your word builds up and strengthens. We pray, Lord, that your word would be just what it is. We pray that your word would be our guide, would direct us and help us be Allow your word to be the governor of our lives, that we might do what is pleasing and honorable to you. Help us, Lord God, to remember this doctrine that reminds us of who you are and your character. Let it be, Lord God, the means by which we live and move and have our being. We pray, Lord, that you would change our perspective from our own to yours. Help us to put off the old and put on the new. 
And may you receive all of the glory, the honor, and the praise. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As you, many of you already know, I've entitled this sermon, The Preeminence of Christ, Christ Above All, Christ Above All. Today we will try to answer the question, what is the meaning of preeminence, and what is and how is Christ preeminent? To have preeminence means to be supreme. It is defined as having superiority in excellence, in power, in authority, and in status. The two points in which I plan to make is, one, Christ is preeminent in creation, and two, Christ is preeminent in redemption. As a reminder, Paul and Timothy is communicating to Christians in Colossae. This city is in the Lycus Valley, about 120 miles east of Ephesus. You could say it's a booming city. It's a place where people are coming from all over. People with all kinds of backgrounds. And so you could see the danger in how other religions, other false religions can creep into the minds of these young Christians. And so Paul never visited this church, but it was founded by Epaphras, one of Paul's associates. This Christian community was also the place where another Christian community had gotten further instructions. In other words, when Paul would send a letter, that letter would be passed down to other churches to be read so that the other small churches can be informed about how to be the church. And so one reason why Paul wrote Colossians was for to warn against the temptation of joining in on the false religions or the false religious positions of the day. And so point number one, Christ is preeminent in creation. Christ is declared preeminent in creation. The unbelieving world often believes in created things as their God. What we are addressing today is a doctrinal issue. It points to the necessity of having a clear understanding about the supremacy of Christ in all things. If we don't get this right, we will share in the misery of the world and we too will take part in living a hopeless life. In verse 15 Uh, In in this verse, I I like it better translated um, in the NIV. Um, This is where some of the false religions have gotten it wrong and have considered Christ as a created being instead of creator. Here's the reality. Christ existed before all creation. And he is supreme over all creation. So I prefer the NIV's translation of verse 15, which makes it a bit more clearer, 
by adding the word over. Therefore, it reads, he, if the image, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, not of, but over all creation. In this letter, Paul is clearly making much of Christ as the Lord of creation. In other words, Jesus is the Lord, the maker, and the upholder of all things within the universe. And so he begins declaring these facts. A, the Lord is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image that represented and symbolized what God is pictured as. He, he is, in fact, the revelation of God. Paul is trying to say that Jesus exactly symbolizes God in every way. And not only that, but he also manifests God. So he's not merely a symbol. In other words, Paul, Paul meant that all that God is, Jesus brought that into reality, into the sphere of human reliability and understanding. In other words, Paul is saying that Christ is making God relatable. Listen to these two verses for additional insight. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Hebrews 1 and 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God of the majesty on high. The Lord reigns supreme over all. He can do whatever he want to do. Our God is sovereign. You remember the story when those boys, uh, those young men tore open the roofs to help the roof to help their friend because their friend was paralyzed. They wanted to get to Jesus, but the crowd was all over the place. So they climbed up, tore off the shingles or whatever made up the house, and they let their friend down in the middle of the mall. And Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. He said, why are you thinking that? Because Jesus began off his conversation with your sins are forgiven you. And he, he knew what their thoughts was. And he said, why would you say that? But the reason why they said it, because they didn't believe who he was and the power that he has. But he said to them, so that you might know that the Son of Man have the ability to forgive sins. Homeboy, get up, take your bed, and walk. And that's what he did. He got up, and he walked up out of there. That's power, and that's what the Lord 
has. He has power in his word. One of the writers states it like this. The point is, is that in Christ, the invisible God became visible. He shared the same substance as God and made God's character known in this earthly sphere of existence. The revelation of God in Christ is such that we can actually see him even with all of our limitations. Next, we see the second assertion by Paul. Uh, He makes Christ uniquely different. He makes him uniquely different because he says, as Lord, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now, this is a new congregation who have come to the knowledge of Christ, and they are now learning to worship God properly. They're learning to worship God properly, unlike the unbelieving world. The firstborn child, according to the cultural practices and traditions associated with this passage, gave the firstborn male of the father the higher status than their siblings. And this would include a greater inheritance. So, young people, how would you like it if your your older brother got all of the snacks and all of the ice cream that they wanted and you got the leftovers? Would you like that? Yes? No? Talk to me. No, no thanks? Okay, Tanya, thank you for that. So what I'm trying to say is that the older sibling got the greater inheritance and they were considered at a higher standard or a status or a higher ranking, if you would. And so it's about rank that we're looking at. So you probably, so this is how it, It was in the families of of this culture and in this day, the older child would, would, would get the majority of the inheritance and everything else would be passed down. And so in, in this case, the main point being made is Jesus is the firstborn. He's the higher ranking. He has the higher status. And we see support Uh, for this from the scriptures. For example, in Isaiah 44, verse 24, it states, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord, who made all things. You can see his, his higher status. You can see his higher ranking. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth. Listen what he says, by myself. Then if if that's not enough, in John 1 verse 3, it states, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's as if the Lord says, yeah, I've done it. It's mine. He's at a higher status than us all. 
Jesus is preeminent in all creation. That's why Paul made these assertions. Christ is the revealer of God, and he's also prominent over creation. So he reveals God, but he also maintains his preeminence over everything and everyone. Not only that, according to verse 16, we have the reasons for why Paul makes these bold claims. In Colossians 1.16, it states, For by him all things were, were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So do you see the three phrases that explains Paul's reasoning for why he believes this? The phrases are, by him, through him, and for him. In other words, creation was a concept in the mind of Christ. It was his doing. Then we have, according to verse 17, the Lord eternally sustains all things. And so we we're able to see more and more how Christ is preeminent even in creation. The fact that he's over all things, the scripture now tells us that he's sustaining all things. In verse 17 it states, and he is before all things, which would disprove those who say Christ is created, right? Logic here would tell us that Christ, if he became before all things, he couldn't have been created, right? It diffuses any kind of argument that says that Christ was created, right? So this is a good spot to land on if we're talking with somebody about who Christ is and his character, God of all God, right? So um, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, which proves again his sustaining power. In, in this verse, when it states he is before all things, it means that Jesus is eternal, right? It speaks to his eternality. The school of thought here is before anything came into being, Jesus was already there. The second part of this verse explains what he does when it states in him all things hold together. To say it another way, the reason why things are in order is because Jesus is keeping them in order. He is the creator, and the creator don't forget about his creation. Every day, Jesus is organizing and maintaining his creation while keeping everything in order according to his plans and his purposes. And guess what? We're all included. We don't have to be worried and shaken uh, with the uncertainties of the day because we know that our Lord, the Lord, our God, has everything under control. He's sustaining it all. 
Um, so we want to keep this in mind. Things may be out of balance with us, but things are never out of balance with God. Things might shake us, and we don't, we don't act like we don't feel that, right? We know it don't feel good, but we have to remember who he is and what he's able to do. And so we must bring in mind the preeminence of Christ over creation. He's in control. He's sustaining all things. What am I worried about? He got me. Right? We're to relax. We are to settle down, if you would, in the Word. Some scholars believe that this passage is not only about the preeminence of Christ, but they would say that our understanding of this doctrine actually helps us in our spiritual growth. I, I, I agree with that. It helps us in our spiritual growth. The things, I mean, we, we can see that, right? Looking back, we can say that the things that used to bother us don't bother us no more. Amen? We're able to go forward and fight this, despite, forward in faith despite what is happening around us or what used to happen, right? We're able to find comfort and confidence in the Lord our God. And so, I think what was, was trying to, I think what that means is that when our faith attaches to our understanding of the attributes of God, our faith matures, right? The more we we grab this doctrine, it helps us in going forward. One, it says Christ holds all things together. We cannot forget this. This is what keeps us sane and clear-headed. This keeps us from being in a panic, being overcome with the problems and issues of of life. We must remember this important doctrine. In in a season of COVID-19, during lockdowns and stay-at-home orders, we must remember that Christ is still sustaining all things even when people are dying. In, this, in the last three years, I've had at least four clients die. The Lord reigns and still reigns. He's holding it all together, even in times of uncertainty. Sometimes we are in position where we just don't know. But what you going to do with that? What you going to do with that? That... There's, there's nothing that you can know about it right now. You just have to wait, right? But what, we, what are we going to tell ourselves when we wait? It has to be something from the Word of God that gives us confidence in going forward. So what do we have to do? We must remember. Remember what? We must remember the Word of God, right? He's the one that's going to give us Confidence. Remember that Christ is ruling, he's reigning, he's sustaining. He's not disturbed or made to be uncomfortable. He's in total control. 
And guess what? He's under control. He's not just willy-nilly doing things, but he has everything under control. And we have to realize that when we've been disturbed by the issues of life, whether it's in our home, whether it's on our job, whether it's a sibling, a husband, or a wife, we can say, God's got me. I don't have to worry. He's going to bring us through this. I'm going to trust in him. And so, when he has everything under control, we know that God has everything all in his power, reigning and ruling, controlling those things. But, but do you understand that? Do we understand that? Do we know that? Do we depend upon that? We should. I mean, why not? Maybe because we're forgetting what God has said or we don't believe him. Sometimes the reasons we have so many anxieties is because we're not trusting God in whatever has us worried, fearful, or uneasy. In other words, we say we trust God in this, but over here, we're just all over the place. What am I going to do? I, I don't know. It, it, it didn't show up. It was supposed to be here. It's not, it's not here. They said it was going to be here. It's five days now. What, what are we going to do, right? All of the anxieties and worriness is because we're not remembering. We're forgetting. And so sometimes when these things happen, we need to reflect. We need to remember we need to meditate. In times of difficulty, God never told us abiding in Christ would be easy. But why do we think it's going to be easy, though? We, 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 every day we're looking for the easy path. I ain't going that way. That, it's rough over there. I ain't, I ain't going that way. Right? right? But that, that might be the way to blessing. That might be blessed road, if you would. Right? So, so we must be prepared for danger. We must live on the edge, if you would. I'm not saying do anything stupid, right? <laughs> I'm just saying God might put us in some uncomfortable situations, predicaments, right? And we might find ourselves weak, but that's okay. People say all the right things, but in practice and lifestyle, they deny what they say they actually believe. Where, where do you suppose that came from? Oh, I, I know the enemy has done this. You see, we got three enemies. We got Satan. We got everybody else. And we got our own selves. And it's a battle every day. And so we must arm ourselves for warfare because it's coming, right? And this is a practice. This is something we must continue to, to, to sharpen ourselves with. And so we must know our weaknesses, right? If we don't take our weaknesses seriously, we're going to always struggle with the same kinds of things, 
Therefore, we must have a plan in times of stress and decision-making, in times of loss and emotional drain, in times of discouragement, depression, anxieties, and in times of physical pain and flat-out exhaustion. We must have a plan. What are we going to do with that? What do we do with all of those things? We remember what Christ has done and we believe him. We hope in him. Why? Because Christ is preeminent in creation. Point number two, Christ is preeminent in redemption. Paul begins this section by pointing us to the statements he made, made about Jesus in Colossians 118, he states, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. First, the Lord is the head of the church. This shows the unity between Christ, the head, and his body, the church. This shows the lordship of Christ over his church, whom he has redeemed. And so because Jesus is head of the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn of the dead. Pointing to that reality again that we have learned already, he is the firstborn, he is the higher ranking. We saw that in creation, and now we see that in redemption. Christ is the firstborn in creation and redemption. Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the grave through resurrection in order to redeem those who would believe and trust in him as Savior. Those of you who don't know Christ, he is your only hope for salvation. He is the higher ranking, the higher standing. There's no way to know God except through him. He is preeminent everything, even death. He claimed death, right? Christ died, and in his death, he became supreme in everything. Just as creation rely on Christ for continuing redemption, rely on Christ for reconciliation. So the way we come to be right with God, the way we deal with our sins is by being reconciled with God. God wants us to be reconciled, and he made a way so that we can be made right right? He made a way so that we could be redeemed. And so, he is preeminent in death. He is preeminent in redemption, and he helps us that we might be reconciled to him. The Lord is the embodiment of God in every way in the flesh. We see this in verse 19 in In Christ, in the wisdom of God, in the power of God, the spirit of God, and in the glory of God. The Lord is the embodiment of God. 
in every way. Colossians 1.19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Then in verse 20, we see that by the blood of his cross, Jesus made peace by reconciling all things to himself in heaven and on earth. The Lord is offering those who do not know him an opportunity to restore the broken relationship you have with him. It's restoration there. The Lord is willing to be reconciled. The question is, is you willing? He died for your sins. Are you willing to accept the gift that he has given in the fact that he have died for sin once and for all? Would you receive the gift to be reconciled, to be made right with God? Today is the day of salvation. Say yes to the Lord. Believe that he died Believe that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again from the grave. Don't put it off. The Lord, you see, reconciles and redeems us through death. We see that in Colossians 1, 21 verses, I mean, 1, 21 and 22. There it says, and you who once were alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In other words, you can't do it on your own. There's no righteousness that you can offer that would be acceptable to God to enter into his kingdom. The scripture says there is none righteous No, not one. This is the means by which God have provided so that we might be reconciled. He gave himself. He bled. He died. He took your penalty with him on the cross and paid in full every sin you would ever commit from conception to the grave. He paid it all. And so... Today, you have a choice because at one time, we were enemies of Christ. Those of us who know Christ as Lord and as Savior, those who've been redeemed and reconciled through faith by the works of Jesus Christ, we can relate to you because we were enemies of the cross but is now made children of the Most High God, not through works, but faith. And we're asking you, we're begging you to exercise faith in Christ and be saved on the basis of your faith. We're not asking you to do anything. Christ has done it all. Believe in him and be reconciled. Do it today. Come to Jesus. Let him be the author and finisher of your faith. He'll make the change in you. Do it today. On the other hand, anyone who does not know Christ is an, enemy of, is an enemy of Christ. And one day it's going to all be over and you're going to meet him 
not as Savior, but as judge. And he's going to give you everything that your sins deserve. And that would include separation from God and eternally being in hell, separated from him. I would encourage you to say no deal. Believe in him today. Be reconciled. Have peace with God. That's what he's offering, peace with God. And he's provided that by way of a cross. But how do we really know we are reconciled to Jesus? We know because the evidence tells us. Jesus says you shall know them by their what? By their fruit. Right? We're able to look at our lives and see whether or not we're following in step with God. So the evidence of knowing Jesus as Lord is, uh, in the last few verses in verse 23 tells us, the evidence is knowing the Lord Jesus is if we continue in the faith, if we remain in the faith, right? If we continue in the faith, how? By being stable and steadfast in the gospel. Watch. Without shifting from the hope of Christ. The whole world will offer you a whole different plan. Right? But the hope we have is eternal. It can't be lost by a car accident or by cancer about any kind of accident or any kind of short becoming of ourselves, we can't lose our salvation on the basis of what we have done because it doesn't depend on us, right? We rest in Christ. And if we're, we're trusting him and remembering that he's preeminent in creation and preeminent in redemption, then it keeps us to be stable, to be steadfast in the gospel without shifting from the hope of Christ. And there's scriptures that reminds us of this. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Right? So, so that lets us know there's the potential of not being steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It goes right back to what we said earlier. We got to remember this. And the only way we're going to remember this is to put it before our face and to see it regularly and for us to practice it and meditate on it. And that's what we must do for the coming year. We must remember the word of God. Second Peter 3.17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Don't get caught up in what the world is doing. Remain faithful. Christ is our rock. May we continue to stand on him. 
And then 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I want to conclude, as we live from day to day in the new year, we must remember this key doctrine of the faith. It is foundational to what we believe. The preeminence of Christ reminds us that he is Lord over all and that he is sustaining all things. Therefore, we have no legitimate reason to be afraid. I didn't say we won't be afraid. I just said that our fearing, our being afraid is not legitimate. Not if we really understand this doctrine that God is sovereign over all things and sustaining all things. So, the question still remains, do we believe this and what will we do about it? Merely acknowledging his preeminence is not enough and it never will be. We are in spiritual warfare. The enemy wants us to take it easy and put our weapons down. Contrary to this, we must take action, keep the faith, love and obey God with everything we got until our last dying breath. I will never forgive up. I will never give up. I will continue to look to Christ, the author and finisher of my faith. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, oh, how we, we thank you in helping us to remember that you are in control. You're in control of everything. And we're so grateful to know that you're concerned about us individually. Individually and collectively, Lord God, we know that you love us. And we thank you for how you have demonstrated your love toward us and that you sustain us. And so, Lord, as we leave, we pray that you will continue to guide us and direct us. We pray that you would be the lamp unto our feet and the light into our pathway. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.